0: You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. Right now, though, let's get into a Bible study. Are you ready for that? Um, We've been going through a, uh, a new series in Genesis. In the beginning, God. And we've been looking at the omniscient power of God. Excuse me, the omnipotent power of God. Uh, Amazing sovereignty has... his omniscience over the whole thing, this plan that he had, and he speaks the universe into existence. And we watch God create time, space, and matter. We watch God uh, systematically put all the things in place that brings this beautiful earth that we are living in. And I tell you, the earth is just an incredibly beautiful place. Even this morning, the sunrise, just stunning, stunning. And we have so much to be thankful for. And we see the, the, the intricate detail that God put together as he, as he fashions and forms the universe for the purpose of bringing man on the earth. And on the sixth day, God creates man and he puts man on the earth. And we see this was the culmination of his creation. This was the purpose of all that he created. He wanted to make a creature that could be in fellowship with him. And to man and to man alone, he breathed in the breath of life and man became a living being. And God gave us the capacity, an incredible mind. You are so intelligent. You are so incredibly made, so wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made, David would say, that my heart knows full well. You have been made with the capacity To comprehend, to ponder, to grasp what is the width, what is the depth, what is the height, what is the breadth of the love of your creator for you. And God's hope in all of it is that in pondering his great love for you, his great love for you, that you would be moved with awe and say, I want to know a God who loves me like that. I want to know a God who did all this for me. And so you are the culmination of God's creation. And God's spirit leading you, drawing you to himself. You are not in this alone. God didn't place you on the earth and leave you alone. No, he created you and by his spirit, he is drawing you to himself. Because the very purpose of your creation was that God desired to be in fellowship with you. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Even more mind-boggling, you are not a temporary being. You are not here for three score and ten years and then you die. You are a soul that will live forever and the purpose of this life is to decide do we want to live with God do we want to be in relationship with God or do we have no interest and we will live eternally either way either with God or separated from God that is the purpose this is a courtship it is a dating process if you will and there is a marriage coming it is the marriage supper of the lamb right and everybody is invited to two suppers by the way you're either invited to the marriage supper of the lamb or you're invited to the slaughter of the earth and we'll be looking at that in uh two wednesdays um as we look at this uh this russia talk so uh um this was God's design, and we saw that he made man, and now we're going to see the title of today's message. We've been looking at the six days of creation. Today is the last talk on the six days of creation, and uh, uh, today we're looking at God creates marriage. Marriage. Uh, did, you, did you realize, did you know, of all of God's creative prowess, the very last thing he created on day six was not Man but marriage. Marriage was the last thing he created. And so uh, today we're going to be looking at that. Let's jump in. Um, Find your way to Genesis 2. And uh, let's pray one more time. Sorry, my eyes are watering this morning. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we come before you and we open your word right now. Lord, no greater joy in all the earth than to say, let's open our Bibles. Let's receive what God wants us to know about him. And so, Lord, we come to you for that very purpose this morning. Would you please speak to us? Lord, I know there are uh, all kinds of needs here this morning. Lord, would you minister to each and every one? We thank you for your sovereign ability to do that. And we bring ourselves before you, Lord, asking, us the, asking that you would give us eyes to see the wonderful things that are written in your law. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, how many of you are married in here this morning? Uh, how many of you want to be married in here this morning? How many of you hope one day you'll be married? Is, is, uh, how many of you are like, I never want to get married? Yeah. Uh, uh, some good instruction for us uh, as we look at God's plan for marriage. So let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 18. Uh, backing up a little bit from where we left off last week, but there's a reason for it. So uh, let's take a look. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Here, every day of God's creation, God has said, it is good. It is good. It is good. Now he makes man, forms him from the dust of the ground. And when he makes man, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. First time God has said that. I will make a helper comparable to him. Uh, That word helper is a helpmate. That word comparable is a counterpart a puzzle piece two pieces coming together to make a more full image Uh, this is God's design Uh, Adam and Eve one flesh coming together being a composite if you will of the image of God and both of them coming together and bearing the image of God more fully than they do individually. Just a brilliant design. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. Verse 19, and out of the ground, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called, each living creature... That was its name. Oh, here we looked at this in depth last week. We see God's heart. Uh, he made man for himself. He made all the earth for man. But he made man for himself. And there he brings all of the creation that he created to Adam. He says, Adam, rule over it. Have dominion over it. And he just stands back and he watches Adam, uh, his eyes filled with awe at all the creatures that God brings before him. And he gives Adam the The ability, the dominion to just name all the animals and to rule over the earth. Uh, We looked at that in depth last week. Um, Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. Now read this last part with me. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I love how God does things. Uh, He does things, and so, so often they seem weird to us. We pray for more wisdom, and God brings trials. And you're like, God, what are you doing? We pray for, help, help us be a better parent, and God gives us a stubborn-willed child. And we're like, God, what are you doing? His ways are so different than ours. The Bible says "As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways? We pray, Lord, I want to be closer to you. I want to be more righteous. I want to walk with you. I want to be used by you. And we fall into deep sin. And we go, what the heck? And God says, my ways are higher than your ways. I wanted to reveal something about you to make you a little more open-eyed about who you really are. To make you a little more dependent upon me. God often does things so different than how we would do them, and this is no exception. It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him, and what God makes is what? Animals? And he brings all the animals before Adam? And Adam looks at all the animals. Hey, this is amazing, you know, and he sees the zebras walk by. Oh, Lord, You're an amazing designer, right? Sees the rhinoceros. Look at that armor. Oh my gosh. Adam got to see the dinosaurs, right? I mean, oh my gosh, you know, and he he names all of these. And as each one is going by, he looks and there's two. He sees the dogs, and there's a male and a female. He sees the horses, and there are a male and a female. He sees the goats, and there's a male and a female, and on and on this goes. And Adam, brilliant mind, I mean, just a brilliant mind, uh, naming all these things, walking and talking with God in the cool of the day, incredible intimacy, created to be in a relationship with his creator, the ability to comprehend uh, the, you know, the, the wisdom that God is imparting into him, uh, a brilliant man, and he sees all this, and he names the animals, and he looks at the animals, and he looks at himself, and he sees there's a male and a female, and he gets to the end of the line, the job is finally done, and Adam comes to this understanding. There's no helper comparable to me. All of the animal kingdom... There's a helper comparable. There's a male, there's a female. Lord, I have no helper comparable to me. What is God doing? What is, what is happening? What, why does God work this way? Why does God say it's not good that man should be alone? And then bring all these animals. Here's why. God is orchestrating life to bring Adam Into the same place, to the same uh, wisdom that God already has. It's not good that man should be alone. And Adam comes to the end of the line. He names all the animals. And Adam comes to the same understanding that God had. God said, It's not good that man should be alone. And what does Adam say after he names all the animals? It's not good that I'm alone. And here we see something very interesting about how God works. God orchestrates our daily life to impart his divine wisdom to us. God could have just told Adam, Adam, it's not good that you should be alone. And he would have a head knowledge of it, but he wouldn't have what? A hard understanding of it. And so God orchestrates life to bring Adam to the same understanding that God already has. This is how God works, not just in the garden, right? Not just in creation in the beginning. This is how God works in your life, in my life. God orchestrates the events of the day to bring me to need, want, and to understand the same wisdom that God already has. And this is called, by the way, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, what is that? It's when I see something the same way that God sees something. That is wisdom. That is spiritual maturity. And this is what God is doing. Look at the events of your life this week. Chances are God was working, God was orchestrating events to bring you to the same place where you might see life like he sees life. Even in, listen to me, even in our failures, our weaknesses. We get an example of this. Jesus was telling the disciples, hey, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. You guys are going to deny me. I'm going to resurrect on the third day. And Peter says, no way, Jose. I will never deny you. And so God orchestrates life to reveal, Peter, you got a pride problem, man. You are not near as good as you think you are, Peter. And he orchestrates all of life to bring Peter to the spot where he denies him three times because he is not that righteous. And now Peter, he now has divine wisdom and a better understanding of his own true nature and his need to stay what? Close to Jesus close to Jesus. And this is how God works. He orchestrates life. Now, the truth of the matter is this. God was speaking, but Adam had to be willing to receive the message. He had to be willing to learn, willing to grow. He had to be teachable. And there is one thing, one thing needed In order for us to learn God's wisdom, let me say it again, there is one and only one thing needed for us to learn God's wisdom. You see, God is always speaking to us, always, but we're not always listening. There is one thing needed to learn the wisdom that God wants to speak to us. What is it, church? what? Teachable heart. Humility. 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 Tom said a teachable heart. They are both one and the same. They are both synonymous. Humility is manifest by a teachable heart. Humility isn't manifest by this. Oh, it was all the Lord. That is not humility. That is often a false humility, looking spiritual to make yourself look better. It is often a false humility. Real humility is manifest by a desire to learn and to hear from God. A teachable heart. And uh, this, is, this is what God wants to do. Humility is the one thing needed. To receive the wisdom that God wants to give to us. And God wants to give us wisdom. There is one thing that allows allow us to receive it, we said. It's what? It's what? Humility. Humility. There's also one thing that will hinder it. Just one. Guess what it is? Pride. Pride. You choose. You choose. Jesus dealt with this. Jesus wanted to bring people wisdom. He wanted to speak truth into their life. But the one problem that hindered that was pride. Look what Jesus says about this in Matthew 13. Uh, Let me hear you read this in a a unified, thundering voice, church. Hearing you... Let me stop you. Sorry about that. Uh, This is Jesus speaking, by the way, to the religious leaders who thought In their pride, they were so spiritual, they didn't need to hear from this poor peasant teacher, this itinerant preacher walking around, and they wouldn't hear from the creator who had orchestrated daily life to bring them to the truth of being in the presence of God. Wow, amazing, right? And here's what Jesus says to them. Okay, let's read together. Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Let's take a look. Is God speaking? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, God's speaking, but what's the problem? We're not hearing. We're not hearing. Is God showing? Yes. Yeah, what's the problem? We're not, We're not seeing. Why? Because their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Let's go on. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand and their hearts. And with their hearts, in turn, you're reading better than I am. uh, So that I should what? Heal them. them. How? How would he heal them? Well, he'll give them wisdom. So their marriage, instead of being a a C minus, would be an A plus. So their parenting, instead of being a B, a C, a D. An F would be an A. Yeah, he would heal them. How? By orchestrating life so that he could reveal his truth, speak wisdom into them, and raise them up as his instruments to bring truth and light into the world. Orchestrating life so that Peter wouldn't think he was so amazing and he would actually be dependent upon Jesus, wow, what a concept, right? And uh, this is what he wants to do in our life. Uh, Look at the rest of this. This is really cool. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Jesus, look, he was speaking to the multitudes, the, the religious leaders who wouldn't see, who wouldn't hear, who wouldn't believe his teaching. Why wouldn't they believe it? Because of pride jesus then turns to his disciples and says but blessed are your eyes for your seeing and your ears for your hearing and can i tell you something church for those of you who are humbling yourself before your creator and saying jesus help me blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for their hearing even right now and jesus would say things that the prophets long to look into the ability to know the Messiah who was standing in front of them, who is now calling us and wooing us to himself. Oh, how blessed we are. You may wonder, has God ever spoken to you? And I think your answer right now might be different than how you might have answered even 15 minutes ago. Has God ever spoken to you? Oh, yes, he has. And one thing I am sure of, you are going to be in awe of exactly how much God spoke to you when you finally stand before him. We're going to find out, wow, Lord, you were speaking to me all the time. I wasn't often listening but you are speaking to me all the time. So may we be wise. Adam has God speaking to him through life, bringing all these circumstances to this point to bring me to this understanding that it's not good that man should be alone. And notice this. This is so cool. The moment, the very moment, Adam understands this message. Guess what happens? Now it's time to get a wife. Now we can move past this position and get to where God wants to go. But not until you see things as I see things. Not until you understand what I'm trying to show you. We can't go any further. So sometimes God has to speak to me about the same thing for Not one day, but how many? Two days. Not two days, but two weeks. Not two weeks, but two months. Not two months, but two years. Oh, the peril of not progressing because I will not humble myself to be teachable and to learn what God is trying to show me. The peril of not progressing in our relationship with Jesus. All because of a what kind of heart? Ah. That's why James would say, God resists the proud. Just can't take you where he wants to take you. But he gives grace to the humble. Adam hears, Adam understands, Adam's heart is right, and God says, great, we can move into the next step. It's time to get married, baby. Time to get married, and now God is ready to make a wife for Adam. Look how cool this is. Um, One more thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, As Adam names all these animals, there is no doubt that he gets to the end of the line and his heart is overwhelmed with loneliness. Oh, not utter loneliness. He's in a relationship with with his creator, but a realization that I don't have anyone. I don't have a counterpart. And I see the value of what you've done, Lord, as each animal has it. That looks right. I don't have that. Why did God want to bring Adam to this place of understanding his loneliness? Why? Let me hear from you. Why might God want to do that? So he would cherish his wife. Really good answer. Answer was so he would cherish his wife. Let me hear some more. Pardon me? To depend on God to provide life. To depend on God. Okay. Good, Sasha. Uh, here's what I believe God is doing. Uh, That he would cherish his wife was a great answer. Here's what I believe God was doing. Adam, I want you to remember how empty and alone you are. Why? Because I'm going to bring you a wife. And when I bring you a wife, that makes you a what? A husband. And being a husband is a difficult role. Being a husband is a demanding role. Being a husband is a role that you really have to have your head on straight. You have to have your eyes in your head. You have to have your ears in tune. You have to have your heart focused on what I'm trying to do. It's a difficult role, Adam. And I want you to understand. I want you to be motivated. I want you to realize how important this is. And God brings Adam to that understanding before he brings him a wife. So important for us to see. This was an important lesson for Adam to learn. Why? Because being a husband is hard work. If you're gonna do it God's way, it's hard work. Now, it's the most rewarding work. I mean, I can't even tell you how much I love being married. Uh, Snuggling up to my wife at the end of the day, coming home and seeing her, she's waiting for me. The little things that she does for me, she made me oatmeal raisin cookies last night, by the way. Uh, Super thankful. Uh, I love being married, but let me just be honest. It's hard work if you're going to do it God's way. And God wants Adam to understand, and this is what he's doing in his life. Let's look at what God does next. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. God takes Adam down. Deep sleep, by the way, is a euphemism in the Bible for a believer's death. Uh, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. We will not all sleep. He means die, Paul says to the church in Thessalonians, right? Uh, it, it's a euphemism. God, if you will, puts Adam down. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs, one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh in its place. Ribs is a horrible translation. It's not in the Hebrew. It's not a rib. God did not take a rib. The word is side. And the translators just translate it rib. God opened up Adam's side. And he takes a chunk out of Adam. We don't know what he took, but he took a chunk out of Adam, out of his side, right? And he closed up the flesh in its place. Actually, you know, opened him up. A little divine surgery right there. Opened him up, takes a piece out, and uh, from his side. Verse 22. Then the rib, which is we should just say the, the chunk, and then the piece, the side which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. Wow. And he brought her to the man. I can imagine God forming this woman, takes a piece of Adam, and in his omnipotent prowess, he just starts fashioning this beautiful creature, and I bet he's going. I think he's going to like this. <laughs> and he fashions this woman, and uh, you know, gals, you are the consummation of beauty in God's creation. You really are. Use it wisely. Uh, he brought her to the man, and Adam said, Whoa-za. uh That's not in there, but I'm sure that's what he said, right? Uh, And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I love the Hebrew on this. It is so romantic. It is more poetic. It is more profound. She shall be called Isha for she is taken out of Ish. Ish is man in Hebrew. She shall be called Isha, for she is taken out of Ish. What's that? Adam gave her his name. A tradition we still follow today at the altar when you get married. She shall be called Isha, for she is taken out of Ish. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become, say it with me, one flesh. flesh. Say it again. One One flesh. I want you to think about that. Maybe underline it. One of my favorite parts of a wedding, by the way, I absolutely, I do a lot of weddings. One of my favorite parts is when the father walks the bride down the aisle. I always look over at the husband and he's trembling with tears in his eyes as he sees the stunning beauty of this creature that God created for him walking down the aisle. And there walking that beautiful creature down the aisle is a father, a father who woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning to feed that child. I always think about my daughter. Every wedding I do, I think about my daughter a father who woke up at two in the morning when that child had a fever, a father that put that child in the bathtub uh, when that fever was too high, a father that read stories by that child's bedside and played dolls and got down low next to the dollhouse and had tea parties and went to the father-daughter dance and watched the first Girl Scout uniform get put on and I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Uh, that father who protected and raised and taught that, that beautiful little girl that God created that your worth and your value is not in your outward beauty, is not in your hair, is not in your body. It's in your character and in your person and you're, you're tremendously valuable. That father that taught her and showed her and, and revealed to her the love of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of who Jesus is, and did his best to protect her and care for her, now walks her down the aisle And stands there just a few feet away from this groom who he is going to hand over this hand and trust into her husband, this daughter, forever. And to have this relationship change as he is no longer the umbrella over her life. He is no longer the protector. He's going to hand her into the hands of another man. And they're going to become one flesh. And that relationship that he has with his daughter will never be the same. This is God's design for marriage. This is what God has done. And now they will live this new life together as one flesh. And by the way, here we see God's will for marriage. That you become one flesh. And if you're a parent and you have adult children, the worst thing that you can do is get intertwined and allow that child to come back to you when there's a problem in that marriage and have them depend on you. No, 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 Dad, you handed her off. Now, you can still be in her life and in his life, your son's life, all those things to give counsel and to give wisdom you'll always love. But there's a change. There's a change of guard. And parents, do not meddle in your children's married relationship, right? Uh, be wisdom, be counselors, but uh, the best thing you can do is embrace the spouse of your, of your child. Um, so here, God performs this first wedding ceremony. Right there, right? Just amazing. Verse 25. Uh, and the eyes... Excuse me, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not what? Ashamed. Ashamed. Um, Some incredible things that we want to look at here. Marriage is one of God's great institutions. It is so beautiful. One man, one woman coming together as one flesh, the two becoming one. One flesh for life. One man, one woman committed to each other for life. Committed to what? Committed to serving each other. Committed to blessing each other. Hey, I realize a couple things right now. Uh, Maybe you didn't have that kind of dad as a young girl. I get it. Uh, Maybe your marriage wasn't this kind of marriage. I get it. The point now isn't to, to feel sorry or to remorse and what wasn't the point of where we're at right now is to look forward with eyes of wisdom of what God designed it to be you see marriage is one of God's great institutions and he can heal whatever has happened in the past if we humble ourselves and walk forward and say Lord I want to embrace what you have for us And here's what he designed. Here's his will. God invented and created marriage. And his idea, his will, was that two would become one flesh. And that this person would say, I only exist to serve you, to bless you, and to help you, and to take care of you. And this person would say, oh no, 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 I only exist to serve you, and take care of you, and bless you. And and what kind of relationship would it be? What would marriage look like if this person was just saying, oh man, my first ministry is to take care of you? And this person would say, no, 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 my first ministry is to take care of you. And neither were keeping score, they were just saying, oh, I want to bless you, what kind of marriage would that be? Can I tell you something? That is exactly the marriage God wants you to have. And this isn't theory. This is instruction. This is what God wants you to do. If you're sitting by your spouse, if you have a spouse, if you uh, are in a courting relationship this is God's will for you for what you are to be moving towards. This is what he designed marriage to be. Um, uh, just a critical news flash. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage was created by God, designed by God, and defined by God. And it is not subject to change. This is how God created marriage, and this is what he wants marriage to be. Changing marriage is not open for debate. And no matter what society wants to do with marriage, and no matter what government wants to do with marriage, it doesn't matter. This is the one singular and only definition for marriage. God patented it, okay? Uh, We can't change it. Uh, uh, It's not open to debate. Now, know this, God does not ever force us to obey him. And so you can make your marriage look like a gazillion different things, but it will always be to your detriment. It is of no value to try to redefine marriage, no matter how you redefine it. King David tried to redefine marriage by not making it one woman, but making it lots of women. And how did that work out? Not too good. Uh, There are those today that are saying, hey, it's not a man and a woman. It's whatever you want. How's that working going to work out? Not good. You can change it. You don't have to obey God's law. He never forces you. You can do it your way if you want. There's a way that seems right into a man, and in the end, it leads to death and destruction. And so uh, God will not force us, uh, but it'll... uh, You'll make a mess of your life if you do it a different way. We'll always be worse off. And the best thing we can do, both individually and as a society, is to learn and obey and uphold God's design for marriage. Now, God is a fantastic teacher, and he brought several lessons into this little story here that are woven through this story that we want to unpack. I want you to think about something. Uh, God did something very weird right here. Uh, We already saw one thing he did was really weird. It's not good that man should be alone. And what did God do next? Animals? That's weird. But now we see the wisdom of that. God did something else really weird. Uh, What substance did God use to make Eve? Adam. That's weird. What substance did God use to make Adam? The dirt. What substance did God use to make animals? The dirt. So you mean to tell me every horse, every dog, every centipede, every bird, man, everything was made from where? The dirt. There's only one creature not made from the dirt, and that's Eve. Why? Why? God did not run out of dirt. <laughs> what is God doing what is he showing well there's a couple things here he's showing her Adam she is you she's you and Adam understood the message This is now bone of my bone. This is now flesh of my flesh. She shall be called isha for she is taken out of ish and here is what god is showing here is what god is doing you are one flesh and adam here's your first lesson about marriage god's message to husbands write it down to have a beautiful wife you have to lay down your life Amen. Uh, pretty straightforward Adam, die. And here's what will happen. As you die to yourself, you will find a beautiful bride waiting for you. So awesome to see, so incredible. This is God's design, and you'll be one flesh, Adam. You're going to be blessed by this. You're going to love it, but it's going to require you that you die to yourself, and uh, this is God's way. Men, I want you to know, in God's economy, it all starts with you. You are the head of this relationship. You are the initiator. You are the responsible party. We're going to read uh, next week, a uh, fascinating study next week. Can't wait to get into it with you. The Garden of Eden. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, next week, we, that's going to be the title of the message, The Garden of Eden. And it, it'll blow your mind what God designed, right? Uh, but when Eve messes up, God comes looking for who? Why? Because Adam... This starts with you. Men, I'm going to say it again. In God's economy, you are the initiator. You are the responsible party. God tells Adam, Adam, this is your body. Take care of it. If you build her, you build yourself. If you speak well of her, you speak well of who? Yourself. If you edify her, you edify yourself. If you neglect her, you neglect Yourself. If you tear her down, you tear down yourself. If you uh, uh, mistreat her, you're only harming yourself. If you lead her really well, you become a better leader. Adam, she's you. Oh, how incredible God's messages are. How incredible his ways. He is teaching all the time. Men, I want you to know something. In God's kingdom, chivalry lives. Ladies, you can go to sleep for a moment. Uh, Men, I want your undivided attention. Be a champion in your marriage. Open your wife's door. That's a lost art. Open your wife's door. Why? Why? She's more than capable. Of course she is. It has nothing to do with making a woman feel like she's incapable. Of course she is. But you know what it does? It says, you are special. You are near to me. You are important. I am To be your protector of all things. And it's a reminder for me as much as it is for you. Baby, I know you don't need this. I just want to honor you this way. I want to remember. Open your door for her. Uh, Be one who goes just, you know, out of your way to show love for your wife. Chivalry lives. Protect her. Treat her special. Uh, Buy her cards. Uh, Uh... In all things, make her your first ministry. Uh, Men, to have a great marriage. There are some things that God calls you to put to death in order to have a great marriage. Self-centeredness has to be put to death. Adam, you got to go down, right? Uh, Self-centeredness. Spiritual apathy right? Not being the spiritual leader in your home, that has to be put to death. Materialism has to be put to death. Lust has to be put to death. Have lust for your wife and your wife alone. I love that the Bible, that God designed marriage this way, right? Uh, uh, This is not PG-13, but the Bible says this. You should be lusting for who? Your wife. I love that. Thank you, Lord. Great plan. Here's what the Bible says. Let her breast satisfy you at what? All times. Even when you're not with her, man, just be thinking about how beautiful she is. (laughs) Let her breath satisfy you at all times, and it doesn't stop there. This is where it tells you guys it's okay to lust after your wife. Here's what it says. And may you always be enraptured with her love. So you're at work, and you're going, I'm just enraptured with my wife. <laughs> That's God's design. Now... Be her protector. Be chivalrous. Right? Is that a word? Uh, Take care of her. Some things have to die. And lust for other women have to die. Getting buzzed has to die. Addictions have to die. All kinds of things of the flesh have to die. Why? Because you have an important ministry at hand. And God has brought you to a point where you should be aware, hey, it's not good that I should be alone. I hated the the loneliness of not having my, I've got a job to do, man. i got to be on my game. I'm going to bed early, and I'm going to eat the right things, and I'm going to be ready because I want, to, I want to be a great leader for my wife. I want to be a great husband. Hey, guys, it starts with you. This is just God's way, and it's a strange paradox. I don't understand how it works. I can only tell you it works. It's a strange paradox. Lay down your life for your wife, and it'll be the best thing you ever did for yourself. Amen. I do not understand it. I can only tell you I delight in it, and it works. Ephesians says it this way, Ephesians 5, look at this verse on your screens, men only, let me hear you read this, men, deep thundering voice, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, Uh, you guys read better than I do man, I'm sorry about that, Uh, but notice what that's saying, listen, listen dude, is what it's saying, listen dude, if you love your wife, you're really doing what, because she's you. She's you, your one flesh. This is God's way. And men, I want you to know your wife is a reflection of you. She is taken from your side. Your leadership, your love, your wisdom, or your lack thereof will be revealed in your wife. She will be a beautiful thing or she will be an ugly thing. It's all a reflection of you. Got a great marriage? Reflection of you. Got a nagging, ugly wife? Reflection of you. The word husband, by the way, is an interesting word. The word husband is not a noun originally. The word husband, in its original form, was a verb. It meant a tiller and keeper of the soil. It was an agrarian term. It was not a noun. It was a verb. A husband was one who really understood soil, who really understood plants, who really understood agriculture. He knew the right time to till. He knew the right time to plant a seed. He knew the right time to water. He knew the right time to nourish. He knew the right time to prune. He knew the right season to grow things, and he produced an abundant crop. And that word was taken as a man's role in marriage. Wow. Wow. God's design so awesome to see some men abdicate their responsibilities as a husband one who just knows the soil and the plant and everything else and takes care of knows the seasons and it happens for various reasons what are some reasons men might abdicate their responsibility as husbands why Business work, distracted, forgetting their first ministry, making work their first ministry. Big mistake. What else? What? Laziness. Too many, too many one louder. Hobbies. Hobbies. Oh yeah. More distraction. Not distracted with work. But I go surfing every day. I spend eight hours on the golf course on Saturday, Sunday, whatever. Uh what else? Addiction. Addiction, yeah. What else? Oh, what? (laughs) Laziness. I couldn't hear you. I was yawning. (laughs) Laziness. Yeah, this is hard work, man. I worked a long day. I'm driving home. I just can't wait to get on the couch and get the remote get Get a... No, 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 no. It's time to go to work, man. This is your most important ministry. Uh, and so these things will hinder a man from being a good husband. And I use the word in its, in its verb form. Um, and some men abdicate the responsibilities out of laziness, out of uh, wrong priorities, working, surfing. Some out of being afraid. They're just afraid to lead. Uh, uh, some men just give up because their wives are so controlling and it wears them down. Uh, then they wonder, why is my marriage? Marriage, not better why don't we have intimacy why don't we have a passionate sex life why doesn't she respond to me with eyes of adoration well because you got to do your job you got to do your job if you got a nagging wife it's your job to do what fix it <laughs> fix it connect man uh take get it out on the table bring it to the head bring it to a surface hey if you got a if you got a sore tooth what do you do do you just live with it forever or do you go to the dentist and say man let's drill this thing let's drill into this thing let's get it fixed (laughs) no drilling's gonna hurt yeah it's gonna hurt drill it out baby I just (laughs) you got smoke coming out your mouth (laughs) I think my tooth is on fire (laughs) worth it worth it why because you don't want to live with that pain in your mouth. You got a nagging wife? Get out the drill, man. Fix it. <laughs> fix it. <laughs> Oy babe. Yeah, none of that's in my notes. <laughs> Those are my twisted thoughts. but uh, Fix it. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. And man, it's worth it. Uh, it's just a great marriage. It's so amazing. Uh, hey, I know it's hard work. I get it, man. Um, but man, make your marriage hum. Make it fruitful. Be a good husband. Uh, take initiative. Get it done. Uh, if it's not right, hey, no, no worries. No worries. No judgment. But let's get it right. God will bless your efforts when you start walking in it. Uh, God's message to husband and wife. That was God's message to husbands. Uh, you got to lay down your life to build a beautiful life. God's message to husbands and wives is this. You are one flesh. You are one flesh. You are not competing. You are not rivals. You are taken from the same body. You are one body. You are one flesh. Uh, there is no scorekeeping. There is no winner. There is no loser. You are one flesh. Some marriages operate this way. You know, it's like, uh, well, he spent a hundred dollars on golf on a new driver and, uh, uh, I'm going to go spend a hundred dollars and there's like this scorekeeping. Well, he went surfing for two hours, so I'm going to do this. Or she went with her friends, so now I'm going to... Hey, that is messed up. You are one flesh. There's no scorekeeping. There's no winner, loser. There's just one flesh. Uh, This Wednesday and Thursday at Women's Ministry, Lisa is going to be teaching in Colossians on families. And Lisa asked me, my wife, she asked me, she goes, Dave, uh... What can I really help the women see to understand the value of submitting to their husbands? What can I help them see? Here was my answer without just right off the go. Here was my answer. Let them see that they are one flesh, one flesh. Why, why, how does that help? Here's why it helps. My, when when I'm hungry, my hand never goes, oh, man, I don't want to submit to, your, to, to the mouth and bring that sandwich all the way up here. You know, that burrito's heavy, man. I don't want to take that carne asada burrito and bring it all the way here and come all the way up here. And... No, no, no. My hand delights submitting to my mouth. <laughs> Why? Because my mouth and my hand are one flesh. And my mouth never says, oh, man, I got to chew all that carne asada for you, the stomach? Are you kidding me? I don't want to chew all that stuff. Get someone else to chew your food. No, no, no. My mouth delights in submitting to my stomach. And my hand delights in submitting to my mouth. And nobody's keeping score. It's just a healthy operation of my body. And that is God's picture for marriage. This is how it works. There are no winners and losers. Uh, Your body is not competing with itself. If you have a migraine, your foot doesn't say, that's not fair. I wanted to go on a walk today. No, your foot says, no problem. I will take you to a dark room to get your head on a pillow so you can feel better. No competing of the body parts, right? All working together because we're one flesh. Uh, this is God's will. This is how, how it works. And uh, there is a tremendous wisdom when we begin to understand this. Eve, I want you to know you are Adam's helpmate. Help him be the best leader he can be admire him respect him build him up uh, believe in him tell him he's a stud tell him he's a great leader believe in him why? because you are one flesh you build him up you're building what? yourself up you're one flesh and ladies I want you to know guys are pretty easy guys are really easy Make your husband feel like a king in two places and your job's done. Make him feel like a king at the dinner table and in the bedroom and you have a great marriage. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. embrace what God has done it's beautiful Adam she is made for you you're responsible for her health and and for her strength and for her spiritual vitality and and to make the the crops grow this is your job enjoy it and you will be respected as a result make your wife your top priority uh, another thing that I find so awesome, so we learn a few messages of what God wove into this, right? A few good teachings. Uh, husbands, what? First one, husbands. Lay down your life. Die to yourself to build a beautiful wife. Second one, you're one flesh. Third one, God's will for marriage. Be naked and unashamed. Be naked and unashamed. What does that mean? Uh incredible plan. Here's what it means. It means that you are totally safe with each other. Totally safe with each other. Adam and Eve weren't physically naked, by the way. They were clothed with something amazing. They were clothed with the glory of God. Uh, We're going to talk about that more when we talk about the Garden of Eden next week. Fascinating. So it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you don't have any clothes on. No, 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 no. They were naked and unafraid. What does that mean? Well, it means that they were totally safe with each other. You see, did Adam have any weaknesses in his life? Answer? How many think no? How many think yes? How, a lot of you don't vote. Adam had tons of weaknesses in his life. Yes, he was sinless, but he wasn't perfect. There's only one who's perfect, and that is God. Adam had some of God's attributes, but not all of God's attributes. Eve had some of God's attributes, but not all of God's attributes. That means Adam wasn't totally perfect, and Eve wasn't totally perfect. But the areas where Adam was strong, would cover the areas where Eve was weak. And the area where Eve was strong would cover the areas where Adam was weak. And they each had imperfections, and there was no shame in them. They said, no problem, I got you on that. I got you on that. I know you're not real nurturing, I'll cover that. I know you're not real firm, I'll cover that. And together, they were naked, and there was no shame in their nakedness. (laughs) There is so much that could be said about this, and I'm I'm out of time. I wish I had more time to go over it with you. Uh, But here's God's instructions to us to be totally safe with each other in marriage. Your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities are safe and protected. You don't have to hide your faults or cover your faults uh, or pretend that they're not there. God's design for marriage is that you would be totally able to be just completely honest with each other about all your faults and weaknesses without any what? Shame. Without any shame. Naked and unashamed. By the way, after they fall... They hid themselves because they were afraid and shame entered into their life. And Adam blames Eve for things and Eve blames other. you know, and there's this blame game going on. Uh, that's, uh, that's after the fall. That wasn't God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage is that you be completely honest and, and transparent with your weaknesses, uh, where you're safe to be just totally honest. And I want you to know, if you are hiding things from your spouse about yourself, there is something radically wrong in your marriage. Get it fixed. Get it fixed. Uh, when I am struggling, or when I have a weak area, or when I'm feeling messed up, or when I sin significantly. The first human that I tell is my wife. I make it known. I bring it to her right away. After I've talked to Jesus about it, I immediately go to my wife. Why? Because she's my helpmate. And I know that I am naked and unashamed. I don't have to hide my faults with her. And this is God's design for marriage. And she comes along and helps me. And two are better than one, for there is a good reward for their work. Uh, How can uh, two keep warm? Uh, How can one keep warm? No, no, together we're able to make it through these things. And uh, it's just so important. Uh, I want to say on this, on being naked and unashamed, uh, when you are naked with each other, and I'm not talking physically, I'm talking about your weaknesses, Never expose each other's nakedness. In the Bible, we read of, uh, we're going to read in in chapter six, uh, after the flood, uh, Noah gets drunk. And one of his sons exposes his nakedness, his drunkenness, his folly. He joked about it, he mocked him. And that did not go well with God. Never expose your spouse's nakedness. Instead, cover her, cover it, cover her or cover him. This is God's will. Uh, exposing your spouse's nakedness in anger or in spite or when you're in pain is a tragic mistake. It is a relationship killer, and it breaks trust and it destroys intimacy. Lisa and I, in our house, we have a rule. Uh, it was there from the early days of our marriage when the kids were little, uh, it was to preserve this naked and unashamed state in our house, not just for us, but for our kids also. And this, the rule was simply this, no derogatory word can be spoken about any family member in this house. So the kids could not talk bad about their sister or their brother or whatever. And I cannot talk bad about my, their mom. Or she cannot talk bad about their dad. Or I, to each other or to anywhere. No derogatory word in this house about each other. Why? Because in the world, you're going to deal with that all the time. Someone's saying this about you. Someone's saying this about you. But this house is a safe place. A refuge from all that. A place where you can be what? Naked and unashamed. Uh, So I've kept you too long, didn't finish the message. What else is new? Uh, Why don't you stand with me? God's plans for marriage, uh, just incredible to consider. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.